debt is like fire and water. Fire is great to heat your house, cook the food. Could also be a disaster scenario, right? Like as in California, water the same thing. It's important for life, but it can also, you know, t- take people's lives. So, debt, if it's used wisely, is an accelerator of wealth. What I've learned, you know, and and people may disagree with this or agree with this, is a lot of times it's not necessarily money that's somebody's issue. It's somebody's education around money. That. Was Michael Hamilton, and this is the Ocean Riders podcast. The Ocean Riders podcast: conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers, and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name is Imi, and I am your host. Hi, Ocean Riders, and welcome to episode 56 of the Ocean Riders podcast. I hope you're doing well and that you're staying healthy and you're getting your daily dose of seawater. A lot of us Ocean Riders have to travel to the coast to score their quota of waves, and in some cases, the coast can be further away down the road. I don't know about you, but instead of booking hotels for my holiday destinations, I've almost always booked holiday rentals instead. Even when Airbnb didn't exist, I've used holiday rentals. I've even rented out my own house a few times on Airbnb, and that's why I found today's conversation so helpful and insightful. Today, my guest is Michael Hamilton, who is co-founder of LiveSwell. He's a surfer and is based in the Outer Banks, USA. Michael has created a self-maintaining superhost holiday rental business. He's turned holiday rentals and property investment into an art and has been awarded Airbnb superhost status for the past five years. His model is so successful that he even wrote a book about it, so quite naturally I was interested in finding out his tips and tricks to make a holiday rental property a success and to create a business model that churns out passive income indefinitely. Wouldn't that be a dream for you too? In this conversation, Michael takes us through his journey and gives us expert tips into how to create a successful short rental property business. So without further ado, please welcome Michael Hamilton. Hello, Michael, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Emmy. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's absolute pleasure. And I'm really excited about having this interview. I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, you know, really simple. I, I think I'm probably like a lot of people listening to the podcast. I'm just a regular guy. I like to travel. I like to surf. I like to center my life around that. And you know, like most people that, you know, get to adulthood, I went to, you know, college, you know, finished high school, you know, here in the States, and then you go to college or university as some others might refer to it. And I got into the rat race, you know, doing some things that I had interest in, but I was working in the corporate environment and started to look around and question things and say, you know, why do some people have certain results or why are some people able to have a little bit more of a degree of freedom in their life as opposed to the situation, the scenario that I was in and and saw a lot of my family in throughout most of my life. And you eventually just thought about making some different decisions so that I could get more out of life, uh, you know, that I enjoyed and that I wanted. Okay. So what was your actual uh, profession before you became an Airbnb expert? 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, that's interesting. So I did quite a few different things. The most recent before I got into Airbnb, I was working with a group that taught entrepreneurship and specifically they taught a you know an asset class of investing real estate. So I had worked with them in live events and seminars where they put on educational events for for people that had interest in you know, wanting to start a business specifically in real estate investing. And, you know, they were featured on, you know, different shows that they have on HGTV and A&E. So they, they were kind of popular. And, you know, I've, I've listened to some other podcasts. I forget who the gentleman was, but he was talking about, he spends a lot of time on, you know, financial education and, and reads a lot of Robert Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. I had done that previous in my life, but definitely the most recent experience that influenced me getting into Airbnbs and specifically generating income from real estate assets was working with this group that you know taught it. So I didn't have a lot of experience when I got started with them. I was fortunate to be a sponge and and learn. And I'm not going to say they had all the answers. There were some lessons that you know you learn from other places. And that was just previous to getting into real estate investing. And I, and I'll make a note too. My first investments and I've been investing now for about 10 years, were not short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. The first investment I ever made was a couple friends of mine that I knew started to get to know through this network uh, bought mobile homes. They renovated mobile homes and they they sold them. You know, the the reason I got interested into it is one time they asked me a question. They said, do you know who the biggest owner of mobile home parks is in the United States? And I was like, I I have no idea who owns mobile homes. Uh, And they were like, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Yeah, and it was a surprise to me too. Um, I don't know if that's the same today. I know, that you, you know they changed their you know their holdings and stuff, and so it was an affordable way to get my foot into real estate investing. I mean, the, the investments at that time were about ten thousand dollars, you know, each to to get into it, and they had a cash flow of about five hundred dollars a month. And wow! So that, those were the first ones, and then I I got into traditional long term rentals and. Also learned how to renovate properties. So the you know that's the popular thing on all the A&Es right now is to buy, fix, and sell. And it's not an easy business. It's, mm. They're easier, you know, real estate is easier when you know you, you get into it and you know you understand more about the business. It's not an easy business, I should say, but it's 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 also a simple business when you, know, you have more tools and resources at your disposal. So the re- yeah, and now now I'll dovetail this back is you know so how did I get into short-term rentals. Well, going back to the beginning of the story, I love to travel. I love to surf. I had stayed in hotels a lot when I was working, traveling across the country. I, I didn't I didn't like hotels. I didn't like the insincerity of hotels. So when I travel, you know, on, on my own accord, I would stay in VRBOs, HomeAways, Airbnbs. And so having a taste and 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 having done quite a few real estate investments, I, I said to my my girlfriend, my partner Maria, I said, for the next opportunity that we're going to purchase, you know, we're talking about a similar price range to buy a traditional long-term rental as opposed to something that we could rent short-term and also have uh, usage value out of it, things like that. So we tried it, and actually, I'm, I'm sitting in that, that first investment really? right now. Uh, yeah, this is called the Chill Beach and Surf Bungalow. But that happened about six years ago, and you know, we the first one went really, really well, and so you know, we started to apply some some different capital, some other places, and we had as many as four places. We had a place in San Diego. I, I lived on the on the West Coast for a long time and wound up getting rid of that a couple of years ago. And 
we're actually about to close on our fourth place in a couple weeks here in North Carolina, the Outer Banks. So, you know, there's some growth going on and, and, you know, that, that's, you know, a cool thing as well. So I hope that answers that question. I yeah. Come in a couple yeah. Different directions. And in fact, it's, it's sort of answered a few questions because I was uh, interested in knowing how sort of that actual holiday rental business bug actually got you in the first place, but you've obviously explained it very, very well, you know, so you went from mobile homes to long-term rentals and then short-term rentals. I was just yeah. wondering how that sort of, because it's quite complicated in Europe to actually get that credit. And if you want to invest in property, you mm -hmm. need to have a sort of super paycheck and it can't sort of be more than 30% of your salary to the actual value of the mortgage and, and things like that. Yeah. So how did you actually get that first foot in the door of getting into owning property because that's kind of complicated i don't know if it's the same thing in america but do you think you could explain a bit more about how how to get that first yeah. foot in the door yeah it's it's a great question and it's a question that comes up for a lot of people and it's and it's a question that unfortunately if it if somebody doesn't see light in it, it you know it can be something that holds them back and and you know maybe they don't actually get to participate and that's that's really unfortunate so what i've learned you know and and people may disagree with this or agree with this is a lot of times it's not necessarily money that's somebody's issue. It's somebody's education mm. around money. And so what do I mean by that? You know, there's there's a lot of, you know, big prominent real estate investors out there and you know, there's all different quotes and some people say, well, don't buy real estate on your budget. And it's, it's real estate is a very capital intensive asset class. It is. And so what's really, really important is to understand how you can purchase it now. There's a lot of investors that are out there that are buying real estate far beyond their budget. And you know, I've heard other quotes too, is the best real estate investors invest as if they had none of their own money. <laughs> the beautiful thing about real estate is there are outlets out there because whether it's a bank or another private investor, they understand the asset class has been very safe and secure. Now, it also it's also going to depend on somebody's approach as they go into it. So my approach is very, very conservative. What we do in our business is we look to only find assets that we can acquire at a discount from fair market value. Yeah. What does that mean? It means that when we're purchasing the property, we're buying it with value in it. I mean, I'll, I'll share these numbers and it's okay. The property that we're closing on here very shortly, the purchase price in US dollars is $319,000. And we had the appraisal the other day, it appraised for $350,000. So right there, when we turn the key, we're building in equity into the property. So that's something that lenders like to see. So there's, you know, there's lenders and there's also going to be, be the equity part of it. So, you know, you have those couple things going on. If somebody's, you know, buying at market value or they're, they're overpaying, well, it's going to be a harder opportunity to, to, to sell somebody. But if I can get back to more specific questions, and it may be a little bit different in Europe than it is in the States. We have two types of lending here. We have what's called credit-based lending, which somebody's looking at your, you know, the quantity of your paycheck, and they're also looking at your credit score to see how creditworthy you are. There's another type of lending that's called asset-based lending. So, for example, if somebody's buying a 300-unit apartment building, their paycheck probably isn't going to cover yeah. what's necessary to show. Okay, well, I can cover the debt on this, right? Apartment buildings are commercial assets, and they are financed upon, you know, based upon how well they produce, you know, how much, what are they expecting from the rents relative to the expenses? I don't know if this is in Europe, but the product, the loan product I'm actually using for the very first time on this newest acquisition is exactly that. It is a product 
on a single family zoned house mm -hmm. and they are looking at what's called the debt service coverage ratio. So does the income that's coming in have enough to, to cover the debt and some of the other expenses? And it's not a credit based loan. So they're looking at it as if it was a commercial building. Mm. Now there are other you know ways to get started for people. And one of the most difficult ones, and, and I struggle with it too, it's not easy, is is raising money. In, you know, in, in my book, I talk about, and, and I don't love this show, but it's a good example if you have a version of Shark Tank. Shark Tank in the United States is a mm -hmm. show where people that have, you know, have, a, have a business opportunity, right? A, a vacation rental is a business opportunity. A am looking at my yoga mat right here. Somebody built those yoga mats. That was a business opportunity. And you know, they, they might not have had all the capital to get started or they, they wanted to scale or, or that's what it took to sell maybe a $20,000, you know, I'm sorry, a $20 product is you needed to scale in order for it to really make sense. And so the other beautiful thing about real estate is it applies just like all businesses. If you can learn how to raise money and bring on partners, you can solve part of the equity piece. And so every piece of real estate or any business is part equity, right? Which is what the owner's putting in cash, or maybe, you know, another way to create equity in real estate is to force the appreciation. What does that mean? That means if I go in and I buy a house that's distressed because somebody didn't take care of it, the property I'm buying right now was a it was a house going through probate. It was it was some, you know somebody passed away in the house. It wasn't cared for for a long time. There's a lot of work that has to be done. Not everybody's prepared to do that, but it becomes an opportunity for somebody that's prepared. And can say, okay, well, you know, I'll take this off your hand. It's going to be a hard, you know, property to sell, you know. And they understand too that in exchange for that value, that they're going to have to, you know, give a little bit up on the price point. But what it does do is it creates an opportunity to go in and say, okay, well, we're going to put in, you know, X amount of dollars. But we don't want to just get X amount of of appreciation out of it. We want to get a one and a half or two times or three times what we're putting in. So. That, that's the model that's worked for, for us. And somebody put that tough love on me one time because I, I, I had the same concern. Real estate's really capital intensive. You know, I, I'm not prepared to participate in every single deal, right? But you know, if, if I can take more of the, the ownership and the responsibility and understand that, it's my education. And if I can get better educated around how to raise money, understand money, learn money, you're going to be in a better position. One other thing I'll add to this just because it's important is sometimes people fear debt. And, you know, debt is, debt is like fire and water. Fire is great to heat your house, cook your food. It could also be a disaster scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like as in California, water, the same thing. It's important for life, but it can also, you know, take people's lives. So debt, if it's used wisely, is an accelerator of wealth. And I literally was writing yesterday, I'm, I'm getting back into more online content this year was a little strange with COVID. You know, I had to take on some more of the responsibilities, but now we're actually getting more of those outsourced, you know, like yourself. So I'm getting more back into the online stuff and I'm, I'm writing an article on how to actually short the US dollar wow. by in, investing in, whether it's a, a, a traditional rental asset, a vacation rental asset. Um, and it's a financial principle. It's, it's, you know, it's exactly what the gentleman was talking about in the podcast, being more financially literate. Mm, that's really interesting. And uh, I guess it's really well explained also in your book that you that we're able to purchase online. And it's I'm recommending it to the uh, to the listeners because I had a read and, and there's some priceless information and, and, and tips in there about 
rentals and holiday rentals and actually financial education, which is which is really cool. But maybe we'll get into that a bit later. How do you, do you actually sort of find your first property in the Outer Banks? Was it a trip or do you have family there? Is it? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll start with how I got introduced to the Outer Banks. I grew up on the East Coast. Uh, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. I've spent a lot of time in different places. I mentioned California. I've really lived there for the past dozen years of my life. And so, you know, there's something about the East Coast where I learned to surf. You know, I grew up on Long Island, so it's it's a 30 mile width island. I mean, you're you're surrounded by water, and there's there's ocean beaches, and you know, I, I knew I wanted a place on the East Coast. My family's on the East Coast, but I, I at that time, I, I you know just really wasn't looking at New York. And you know, my parents are starting to age. My partner Maria's parents are starting to age. So we said to ourselves, you know, if the corporate world just goes awry, which, you know, we were in at the time, and um, that was at the time that we purchased the first rental in the Outer Banks, I said, look, you know, this is going to make as much sense as a long-term rental, but it's also something that we can use, have the usage benefits, and then we can take advantage of some time on the East Coast. What a great experience. So that was the first invest, the first short-term rental investment was really saying, you know, if, if things were to get really bad, I have a place in an affordable area. Mm where you know my, my payment on the place isn't that much if, if I needed to personally be there. And it all worked out really, really well to the point where we said, okay, well, let's get the next one. Let's get the next one because they performed really well. And it wasn't by an accident that, that they performed well. We, we worked at it. I mean, you know, we wanted to do something that we were happy doing and, and could be our own boss and be on a path. It didn't, it didn't happen with the first rental. Like, oh, you can just leave your job. It, it happened over the course of a you know a few years where we got comfortable and said okay well we're really starting to replace the income and we could see the potential to replace more income so I, I hope that answers that question yeah yeah because you've actually turned it into a sort of model which is called the live swell proven process could you talk to us about that yeah so you know I, I got introduced about process you know in business and I, you know I can give some examples. You know, we want to develop a process for our business because it's easier to have a model to do something if you want to replicate it rather than try to reinvent the wheel every single time. So, for example, we were just bringing on a, a couple new housekeepers, and you know, there are certain expectations that you know I'm not going to say I'm immune to cleaning. I've cleaned houses in the past, and I think it was a good thing because I learned that it's not easy. And I learned also what are all the things that I would want to have done for a guest to make sure that, you know, the, the property is, is sparkling clean. And so, you know, it's a very simple example of, okay, well, I'm going to go through the kitchen and I'm going to write down exactly every single thing I use, every single product I use. So there becomes a black and white checklist and it kind of reduces the, you know, the, the, the gray areas for interpretation of what was supposed to be done and what wasn't supposed to be done. So, you know, we can hold people accountable. We can, you know, help them improve and things like that. So the, the Livestool Proven Process is simply the process that's got us from, you know, to successful rentals. And it's, mm -hmm. it's the same process we use from acquisition, right? So how do we evaluate a property? Well, we, we have a tool that we use that we can put in a number and say, here's a purchase price. Here's how much it costs to renovate it. Here's what we believe it'll produce in revenue. Now, we can do that a little bit easier now because we've had examples and you know and, and that sort of thing so if somebody doesn't have that they're gonna have to you know try to you know forecast okay well what can i come up with so 
you know, then there's so once we analyze a property, we can make an offer on it, right? There's an offer system on on that. Yeah, you know, we're gonna offer retail, probably not. I mean, you know, we're in this to make money. We're not hitting this to take advantage of people. But at the end of the day, the money supports the mission, mm-hmm. and so we need to be able to. Any business needs to be able to make money, right? To to survive and continue. So after acquisition, then there's you know, then there's renovation processes, right? And then we'll go into getting the rental ready. And then we'll actually go into once the once the the rental is stabilized, right? There's an operation. There's an operation man, manual to it. Every hotel, Marriott, whatever it is, they have an operations manual for all their different personnel to make sure their process is going right. And so that would be when a guest is on site, and then guest checks out, and then what are you doing after a guest checks out to follow up with them, keep them engaged, and can't say that I've been the, the absolute best on 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 engagement after it's you know <laughs> they were always still working on things and improving them but yeah it, yeah so that 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 concept comes from let me think of the book here really quick traction by Gino Wickman is the that book um, we model a lot of our our business off of traction by Gino Wickman and then also too there's another prominent author called Michael Gerber Michael Gerber wrote a book called The E Myth. And what the E in that stands for, it's the entrepreneur's myth. A lot of people think they're going to get into entrepreneurship to enjoy all this time, all this money, or they get into a business because somebody likes to bake and, and you know, they wanted to start a bakery. And that's, that's, everything is completely okay about that. But a lot of times what happens and you know, the, the myth, the riches, the time freedoms don't okay. necessarily happen. And the reason that Michael Gerber talks, you know, mentions that is because People get stuck working in their business and they're not working on their business. So, for yes. example, the baker, right? She's a great baker, but she's baking the cakes all the time. If she's using that time to just bake cakes, she's not. she doesn't have necessarily the time to build her business. Now, however, we'll take the alternative. If she creates a recipe, right, writes it down, has a great training program, teaches and instructs somebody to come behind her and now make those cakes, right, and she can get the same exact result. Mm. Right. That's the, as if she was doing it. Now she can now she's freed up her time to to grow and work on that business. And for me, it's it's a lot more fun to work on a business than working in a, in business. a business. Yeah, I yeah. tend to feel the same thing as well. Like um, when I set up my business six or seven years ago, it was great setting it up, setting up the procedures, setting up, you know, yeah. just programming everything, the website, blah, blah, blah. And then once everything was rolling and I just lost a lot of interest in it and I pivoted into something else. But yeah, I, I get that. I get that. It's sort of really creating that project from, from day one is more exciting than actually having it rolling around consistently. I don't know if I've sort of ex- expressed myself properly, but I get that. I get that totally. And what I what I really like as well is, is the fact that you say in your book that it's becoming a technician isn't sort of the solution. It's like you really have to manage those processes and create those processes to delegate to others and to have a good team of people working with you yeah that's exactly right michael gerber you know that where i got that graphic is from him he talks about you know there's there's technical roles and there's nothing wrong with being a technician right and you know but if you do want to grow and you want to you know expand a business it's going to be really difficult if you're doing all if you're doing everything you know i think i put an image in there of an octopus on roller skates (laughs) to try to you know draw the parallel you know, you're you're flying around, and and that's stressful too. It can be stressful. So, yeah, you know, I hope people get some uh, you know some value out of it. that's a, that's an important concept. You know, Tim Ferriss. I know somebody that you listen to. I think it's him that says, you know, time's your most valuable non-renewable resource. There's 168 hours in a week, right? And 
if we can start with, and everybody has the same amount to spend. That's the great equalizer at the end of the day. Money can be got, right? Money can be raised and, and stuff like that, but time is the great equalizer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, somebody was, for, you know, I was very fortunate people, you know, impressed that upon me and you know, I've definitely taken it to heart and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So which part of the Live, Live Swell process do you prefer doing? What do I prefer doing? I like going out and assessing new properties. I like the acquisitions. I like the renovations, specking the renovations. My partner, Maria, she really deals with the, the operations, she deals with the communications, and she's much better at that than I am. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all learning. And, uh, but, yeah, definitely the, the acquisitions are exciting to me and uh, the renovations. And we're going to have one of those coming up here really soon. And, you know, we've thought to ourselves, this is our fifth property that we're renting in, in the years of renting. Like I said, we got rid of one, so this will be back to four. We wanted to do a lot of video content on it, you know, after having, you know, several years, thousands of guests and, and, and having done the rent, you know, part of this before, because it could be really challenging for people to hire contractors and, yeah. you know, get bamboozled and lose the pot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that can go awry, uh, you know, in, in, in the real estate business. So <laughs> yeah, we're planning on doing some sort of, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but we're going to try to really document this particular renovation so that, you know, people coming behind us or people that are, you know, maybe started before us that want a different perspective can get some ideas as to, you know, what does it look like when, what is, what is these parts of the list well proven process, yeah, you know, look like. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So you've got the whole system set up for buying the property, assessing the property, renovations, it's ready to market. You've got the first customers coming in. Could you talk about the actual secret service tip, which I, th I thought was a brilliant idea? Yeah. So, I, you know, full disclosure, I mean, Secret Service is not, doesn't come <laughs> from me. It's not my idea. There was a book, actually, the, the company I was working with at the time had, had had us you know, reading a lot of customer service books. I mean, they were, they were a good culture of, you know, promoting that sort of stuff. So I think it was a book, and, and if I'm wrong on this one, I'm wrong, but it's, I think it's John DeJulius. It's called The Customer Service Revolution. And he's talking about, I believe, Ritz Carlton. And one of the things that Ritz Carlton does is they do secret service to their guests. And what is a secret service? It's really about customer intelligence. And by that, he doesn't mean that he's assessing their IQ. He's, he's, <laughs> he's assessing what their, their preferences are somehow, some way through their booking process or them knowing these customers over frequent visits. They've learned about what coffee do they like? Do they like their sheets tucked in or not tucked in? Are they one of those people? Is there a particular treat that they might like, right? So yeah, we try to just adapt that in. Caesar Ritz has a famous quote. I think I put it in the, in the book. I, I think it's something to the effect of everybody likes to be served, but they like to be served invisibly. And so we said, well, if, if this is good enough for Ritz Carlton, we like to model success. Uh, you know, a lot of what we create is not because we're just coming up with some crazy ideas it's modeling what people have done before that that works and how can you apply it and so yeah we apply the you know that secret service concept you know into our brand and, and it's evolved actually since the book so and I think it's still evolving because Maria's testing things but hmm. most recently what she did is she um, created what's called a pre-arrival planner so after somebody books they would get a an email message direct to their email. We would take it off platform, whether it's Airbnb or VRBO, um, and just have, have them ask some answer some questions about their trip. I mean, right now with 
the pandemic and the COVID scenario, one of the questions was the effect of, you know, what's your preference around meeting people, right? So we, we would know if, you know, you had to go over to the property or whatever it was, you know, do we need to be, is this the kind of person that's, you know, very concerned and we need to be mindful of that? You know, do, what activities are they interested in? Um, so we can, you know, get some information, point them in that direction. And then the more information we get from that pre-larval planner too, we get content ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So we leave a couple bicycles, the Outer Banks is kind of a narrow island. It's only about a mile across, maybe in its deepest parts. And so, you know, there's a bike path on there and, you know, all these, all these different things that can help add value to their experience. You know, we try to do. And, I love that, uh, yeah. I'll give you, I will give you one example of the Secret Service that I remember very particularly. There was a gentleman, and I think this is the story I used in the book too. There was a gentleman coming down, there was a news broadcaster, and he was covering a hurricane down in South Carolina. I think the eye was supposed to pass there. On his way back to New York, he was from New York driving back, wanted to stop on the Outer Banks. And, you know, somehow we were tipped off that, you know, they, they were into astrology and meteorology and all these things. And so we said, okay, well, the gentleman's coming with a couple of his kids. Let's order a, a telescope. One of the things a lot of people don't realize about the Outer Banks is when it's, when we get, you know, we get a lot of storms, a lot of clearing, the sky can get very beautiful and open up and you could, you could see Milky Way sometimes with the naked eye, but having yeah. a telescope we thought would be something that would add value. So, you know, you just get some ideas and get that intelligence, you know, what yeah. are their preferences and see how you can apply it. And it makes a bit, it can make a big impact on somebody. Absolutely. And does that cost you a lot? I mean, compared to the actual value of the, the rental, do you have a sort of maximum budget that you fix for the secret service little gifts? Yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be an excessive maximum. Uh, <laughs> that telescope idea, that one was one of the, one of the more expensive ones. So, you know, typically they're, they're not any more than 5% of whatever the value of the rental is. Now mm -hmm. that can actually, you know, be in the hundreds of dollars. Very, very rarely are we secret servicing in that range. We also do what's called a welcome gift. And, oh, yes. yeah. you know, those aren't necessarily secret service because they're, you know, they're they not fit somebody's preference exactly. So you were saying beyond the secret service, you also have these welcome packs and so what do you usually put in them? So we design the welcome pact, uh, the welcome gift really to, you know, just make a first impression or help with the first impression because it's not the only piece of the first impression. That's your cleanliness. You know, what does the place smell like when they get in there? What does it look like? <laughs> There's so many things. And we really like to use things that are going to get involved in people's senses. So in the Outer Banks, the, the primary secret, uh, not secret service, the welcome gift that we use is something called Outer Banks Rum Balls. Uh, the Outer Banks is a very rich pirate history. Actually, today it's kind of like that. It's a dreary day, and I can see like the Black Pearl pulling in. But anyway, it's a, there's a, a rum distillery not too far from here, and they uh, they brew a brand of Outer Banks rum. Right. It's called Kill Devil Rum, actually. Uh -huh. And they also make these rum balls. And the, the rum balls they make are it's a chocolate candy, and you know, the inside is, is is some sort of like rum type tasting cake and. Mm -hmm. They're really delicious, and they're, and they're not cheap. But we reached out to the to the group, and we said, "Hey, look, you know, we have a lot of guests coming. We'd like to give them something tasty from the area um, mm -hmm. that's local." And we were able to to start a wholesale relationship with them, and we get their product about fifty percent of what it retails for. And you know, people really seem to like that. Now, if somebody's opposed to alcohol in a way, that that might not be the best, you know. Yeah welcome gift to leave even though it's a cake and it's not like somebody's gonna get drunk off of eating five rum balls <laughs> but uh another thing we do too is a tote bag 
So right. we have a relationship with a, a company that produces tote bags. It's got like the navy and white colors and it's branded with the Live Swell logo. So in the summer, we typically leave that for, you know, guests that are staying five plus days. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it helps because maybe not everybody brings a beach bag. Yeah. So those, are, those are some of those ideas. That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. And I guess what would be the best advice you could give an Airbnb host to actually make their business bloom? What would be the sort of most important factor when welcoming guests on that kind of platform? When welcoming guests, I mean, the most important thing when welcoming guests, I'm going to actually make that two parts. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, you know, you see, I like to use, you know, other people's quotes and stuff. Disappointment equals reality minus expectations, if I Mm -hmm. got that equation correctly. Disappointment equals reality minus expectations. I think I got the equation right. But anyway, so somebody's booking your place based upon the advertisement, the expectations that they're seeing in your listing. And if I can give one piece of advice, is I would say, make your listing accurate and don't make the expectations too outside of, of what the actual impression is going to be. And then just to tag along to that, cleanliness is so important right now. Mm. It's always been an in, intolerable, you know, for us and and for people that we work with and you know, in, in our world, we believe accuracy is kindness. So, you know, we inspect and we give feedback and, you know, we're of the mindset of, and we want to be with people that want to improve. So if you're doing your own cleanings, I, I would say, make sure they're really good. And if you're hiring somebody, make sure you're hiring somebody really good and make sure you're helping them improve, Yeah. not beating them up, but help them improve so that you can get the result that you're looking for and the result the guests are looking for because people aren't clean right now. It, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of rentals out there. Mm. You know, it, it's going to be tough. And that's what I would say to, to those important things, but just always be, always be improving too. listen to your customers, listen to your, to the customers that have complaints. Yeah. You know, the customers that have complaints are typically the ones that are giving you the stuff that people wouldn't tell you that are just, you know, being, you know, just kind of going through the motions saying, yeah, everything's okay. It's yeah. actually more valuable to have the people that say, that's not right. You know, yeah. the, the, those, those glasses over there were a little dingy. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't notice that when I looked at them because I've been looking at them for two years. Yeah. yeah. You know, they got to get out of there. So, you know, that, that's, the, those are kind of things that are, that I would, I would recommend. And how about, in your opinion, what's the sort of best money shot for that Airbnb listing? Is there a kind of, is there a method into what kind of, what you should shoot in a, in a Airbnb listing and what you should have as that main photo image? Oh, so I think you're talking directly about the listing. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Right. Yeah. What are the most impactful things that somebody can do on a listing? Yeah. We actually, yeah. The, the most important things that I would say on a listing is your listing is like a newspaper or a billboard. And the first thing on it has got to be, is it catchy? And what people are going to see when they search, right, they might search Cornwall or the Outer Banks, Kill Double Hills, whatever it is, they're going to see two things that come up. There's going to be a a thumbnail image, Mm -hmm. right, which is your first image that you upload there, and also your title. Yes. And so those are the two main things that you're going to get an opportunity to get somebody to click your rental. So if that cover, that thumbnail image isn't somewhat attractive and the the title isn't somewhat catchy or mention a specific amenity or something that might be unique Mm -hmm. they might not click it and they'll they'll go to the next one so that's your opportunity right there to get them to now the listing page right so once you've gotten them the listing page there's gonna be other things you focus on but those would be the two most important to get somebody to click in my view and what i recommend too is 
test change. Yeah. You know, we found people in our in our marketplace that have copied a lot of our titles. <laughs> and so that's okay. That's fine. You know, in school, you get castigated for copying, right? But in the business world, you get rewarded for it. Yeah. So, you know, I, do, do I love it when I see it? No, I might bark something, you know, a little bit. But then I'm like, oh, you know, that, that, that actually feels good because somebody saw a value in that process. And it's good. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And also what I really like about your, your recommendation is to actually use PNL in your listing description. So maybe you could elaborate on what type, what parts of PNL you use in that description. Yes. So NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and that's just using language to help people get into, you know, more of their subconscious mind. You know, a lot of our conscious mind will have knee-jerk reactions and kind of move us out of some things. And, you know, the, the idea behind Neuro Linguistic Programming is it, you know, can help people get a sense of what an experience might be like with using sensory type type words. So an example of that would be, you know, I mean, you're going to feel this, feel the sand between your toes mm. or so you're using the, the feeling words. And, and when somebody's, you know, maybe saying, you know, picture and imagine, you know, feeling the ocean breeze and hearing the crashing waves <laughs> while you're sipping your morning coffee on the porch. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, you're, you're catching me on the cuff here, but you know, things like that where you're using sensory type words to describe an experience can allow those images to get into somebody's subconscious mind and help them book. Now, some people in the sales and marketing world use NLP for manipulative ways. Mm -hmm. NLP can be used to help people get what they want. We're also very, very clear in our listing about you know who it's for and who it's not we put disclaimers towards the end about you know what we believe the property is what kind of boxes it checks off and and if that's not you then we you know we would directly say respectfully this place isn't for you and yeah. you're going to want to consider finding another place and yeah. so i think you know using a combination of those things is is really important because at the end of the day too you can only host one group of people per mm -hmm. property Mm -hmm. And, you know, fortunately on the supply side, there's a lot more, we get a lot of demand. So we don't necessarily have to say yes to every single guest. We, you know, we want to ultimately for our sake, for the guest's sake, match the right guest with the right property. There's, yeah. there's, you know, it's terrible to get somebody into a property and I'm like, it's happened rarely, but we've had something, you know, you, in any business, Disney World's going to get a bad review, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the happiest place on earth. But, you know, sometimes you're going to get the, get the wrong group in there. So the better language, that, and that's why I said when you asked your first question, the accuracy yeah. in the listing, like setting the right expectations, that's the stuff that's going to you know help avoid those experiences of getting the wrong person you know, matched for, for the rental and that sort of thing. That's excellent. That's really, really good advice. And I love, I love the way that, yeah, that getting that description right and actually telling people who it's not for is really good as well. And I definitely sort of urge people to apply those principles because that will will help people out in, in renting their houses. I was just wondering also, so if you could sort of talk about your book, Vacation Rental Confidential. So you were saying that you're actually updating it? No, I, I must have misspoke somehow there. Oh, sorry. It's, it's not being updated. It's just, you know, when I wrote that book, it was primarily 2018. It was released uh, in July of 2019. So it's been available for about a year. You know, over that time, we're constantly evolving. Yeah. And so, you know, we're thinking about, well, how do we improve this? How do we improve that? And, you know, I mentioned the, the 
the more recent one that we're using called the pre-arrival planner. Mm-hmm. It's basically giving us a cheat sheet of, you know, what are the guest preferences when they're coming? Yeah. Um, getting a better idea of when they're arriving, you know, all, all these sorts of things can can help us just craft a, uh, a better experience. You know, they, they mentioned that the beach chairs are really important, right? You know, maybe bring an extra beach chair that's, that's kind of cool or unique that mm-hmm. uh, they might really value, so. Yeah, not. I'm not planning on updating it yet. I mean, maybe in you know, a few years, something like that. <laughs> but there's that's the thing about about books. And you know, when Tim Ferriss wrote his book, The Four Hour Work Week, and eventually I later wrote you know my book. The thing I took from him when he wrote it is he said I really wanted to focus more on the principles and the strategies mm-hmm. rather than specific technologies yeah. and and things like that. Because if you have a certain set of guiding principles and strategies whatever the available tools and resources are at the time, you're going to be able to apply that to. So that's what I tried to do in the book is talk more about principles, strategies, but ultimately at the end of the day, the technologies are going to change, right? The pre-arrival planner is going to be maybe something different down the road, you know, and, and those sort of things. So yeah. that, that's what I really gained from Tim Ferriss. And I try to apply it, you know, in, in that text as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess also there's the elephant that's in the room at the moment with vacation rentals, which is COVID-19. And I just wondered how you've been able to overcome the challenges over the past few months. Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and you know, the answer I think for you know a lot of people is it's it, it depends. A lot of that also is really going to depend where you are. Mm-hmm. We're very very fortunate. We weren't very fortunate when the pandemic you know first hit. Mm-hmm. We are on a barrier island in the Atlantic, and. The only way to access us is through two bridges, or there's some ferries that that can get you there. And the local county made a decision, and you know it's probably the right decision. You know, I don't know if it was the right or the wrong decision, but they decided to close those bridges to access for many visitors, or even if you were an owner of a property, but you weren't. Um, this isn't your primary residence, so it was like your second home or your vacation home. You weren't allowed to enter. Wow. So for two months, we were completely shut down of, you know, of income and, you know, Airbnb has their policies. And, you know, so that those those months were were no income. So that was a little a little tough. Now, what just an aside on this and and we'll get right back to it. You know, I don't know that it's going to happen or not, but we do have insurance policies that have a loss of income Mm. piece to it. Now, we have attorneys that are fighting to see if that'll actually apply because the insurance companies are denying the claims. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing mixed reviews of people getting uh, their claims paid and people getting not getting their claims paid. My feeling is it's probably not going to get paid. But, you know, just having having insurances so that you can protect against losses is going to be is going to be very, very important. The change I'll get to is here is once our bridges opened up and even before our bridges opened up, we had a tremendous amount of demand because we're in a a remote location. Mm. Our closest airport's an hour and a half away. Our real estate market right now is exploding. Really? And it's because we are in a non-urban, <laughs> to, you know, it's a remote location, suburban environment. In the United States right now, real estate-wise, you are having tremendous booms in areas that are suburban and not sit in, you know, not urban, right? Mm. So people are getting out of the cities, moving away from the, the close living proximities. So I, I guess... You know, my feeling is, is if you're running a short-term rental business in an area that's more urban, it could be a little tougher right now. I don't yeah. know exactly. My feeling is people are starting to travel a little bit more. I'm seeing that. 
but we've been very, very fortunate. We've had more demand. We've actually been able to keep rates even a little bit higher in our off season. We rent all year long and our real estate values have skyrocketed. Wow. So it's kind of a strange phenomenon. When I was, you know, before the whole scenario, you know, we asked some of our housekeepers and stuff, do you even want to clean anymore? And some of them said no, because they were like, they were scared about it. And myself and Maria, we, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen this year. So the first couple months after COVID, we actually had to step back in and do some of the things that, you know, we had hired some people for in the past. And now that we're very, you know, we're very confident there is an election year this year in the United States, but we're very confident we're going to see the same kind of activity next year and the following year that we saw once the pandemic, you know, once they open things back up. So we feel good here. Mm -hmm. Cleaning wise, I, you know, I think that might have been part of the question too. I mean, it's just completely intolerant, uh, you know, to, to have a place that's not sparkling clean at this point. And so there's been some changes there. But in terms of demand, we've been very fortunate, but I don't think there's every area is going to be very fortunate. I think it's going to be more of the suburbs in the near term. And then I think you know, urban areas over time is, you know, vaccines and, and other hmm. therapies and people are more comfortable traveling amid, you know, the, the, the pandemic, those areas will start to recover. Yeah, yeah. But that's really interesting that actually, um, yeah, that you've, you've managed to sort of surf that wave, which actually brings me to the next uh, part of this conversation, which is you and surfing. Tell us about your surfing history. Yeah. So, you know, I got into surfing a little bit later in my life. I'd always been an ocean kid. My parents, you know, were ocean you know, beach bums, you know, they, they love tanning on the South shore beaches of Long Island. And I love to go shelling and mm -hmm. body surf and bodyboard. We would take trips to the coast of New Jersey, you know, down there. And, you know, I remember going to Ron John surf shops, a famous surf shop in the United States and like begging my dad to buy me this hundred dollar boogie board. And <laughs> he was so mad about it because they were expensive at the time. But anyway, I, you know, it was a, it was, it was, it was a great thing. So you know, my introduction to the ocean was very early in my life, and it and it definitely was playing a you know a central role. I was more into organized sports. I was recruited to play professionally as a as a baseball player, and I was in college, and I I hurt my arm, and it was my sophomore year in in university, and I went to the doctor, and they they said, look, you got a couple options. You can either get surgery, or you can just you know self rehabilitate. And one of the exercises they recommended was swimming wow. and living on an island. Um, you know, when I would go to the beach, they had a, they had a state run lifeguard corps. And one of my friends from high school was, you know, he was a, he was a, a swimmer. He was a collegiate swimmer, swam in college. Somehow we got talking and he's like, why don't you take the lifeguard test? And I'm like, Ray, most of these people are college swimmers. I'm like, I'm a decent athlete, but I'm coming off an injury. And he's like, I'll train you. And wow. so I got into the pool with him. He started, and I took lessons as a kid, right, to swim, but I was not a competitive swimmer by any means. And so he just, you know, started to train me. I learned how to do flip turns. And then, you know, eventually I had to take this competitive test and I became an ocean lifeguard. And, and you know, when you're around that kind of a group of collegiate level swimmers in the area that I was in in New York, there's some people that are, you wouldn't believe, believe this, 40, 50, 60 years old that are lifeguards. And part of that is because it's a union-based position. So a lot of police officers, firemen, and, and teachers would do it because it would also help them with their, their civil service. And so, you know, as I got into the lifeguarding thing, I, I started surfing and Excellent. just surfing more and more. And, you know, I, I got really hooked. 
I remember sitting on the stand with one of the older gentlemen who was a, a university swim coach, and he was asking me, what am I going to do after the summer? And I'm like, I want to recreate more. And he's like, well, where are you going to go? Hawaii or California? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to go to California. And so then I moved to California, and I was there for a dozen years. And I've been very fortunate. I've traveled most of the world. I mean, I, I love your area where you're at, uh -huh. uh, the south of France. <laughs> I wasn't fortunate to surf Biarritz when I was there. The wind oh, just didn't wow. cooperate. But I've San Sebastian I've been to multiple times. Bali, I love Bali. I've been there a couple times. Mm -hmm. When I lived in California, I practically almost lived in Baja, Mexico, too. You, know, wow. you take all these trips. It's about a 30-minute drive to get into Mexico. So, yeah, I've been really fortunate. I, I love surfing. It's made a really big impact in my life. And a lot of the, the decisions that, you know, I've made, and I'm sure a lot of surfers have made about you know, other things in life have to do with revolving around surfing and traveling. Mm, mm. So how do you actually balance your lifestyle with uh, fitting in some, some surfing at the moment? You know, I'm really fortunate. I'm really fortunate that, you know, th there's windows. Of the, the, the thing that I'm more challenged with now is getting good quality waves, being back on the <laughs> East Coast. The winds are all over the place. The storms are a little bit more erratic. So, you know, making the choice to not have to go to a nine to five, not necessarily to have to answer to, to a manager Yeah, that's provided a lot of freedom, you know, to, okay, here comes the window of the waves, you know, I'm going to be available and, and balancing it really by making sure I'm getting the things done on my, uh, you know, the time that I have available for it or the not ideal time to be on the beach or surfing. And the thing I would say about, you know, choosing a path like this is there's more freedom, but there's also more responsibility. Mm. And so that that's where, you know, it's a little bit of a give and a take. Yeah. Self-motivating for some people isn't very easy to do. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know, some days for me, it's not easy to do either. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And so what's your favorite board? You know, I surf a lot of boards growing up on the East Coast. I, I learned to longboard. Mm -hmm. I absolutely am. I'm in love with longboards. I ride traditionally, if I'm riding my longboard, it's a, a 9-0 mm -hmm. uh, with thruster fin setup. So it's a little oh, more wow. of a performance board. And I always get my board shaped epoxy. Uh -huh. I'm a little bit of a bigger guy. So I, I appreciate the extra buoyancy, uh -huh. the extra float that the epoxy gives. And I'm also klutzy and clumsy. So if I'm <laughs> dinging it going down yeah. the stairs, it doesn't ding on me. <laughs> So, yeah, that's one of my primary boards. I recently just got shaped, and I picked it up in April. I went out to California to pick it up because my shaper's still out there. Jim Ellington, Ellington mm -hmm. Surfboards in San Diego, is a 6'1 fish. Wow, nice. And I've wanted a fish because I've, I've ridden shortboards for a long time, but as a bigger guy, mm -hmm. if you don't have the weight, you know, enough push point, and yeah. everything else, I mean, I, I want to choose my longboard so I can go out there and, and, and catch waves and, you know, and have fun. So the fish has really, it's really expanded the opportunity to get into waves that are, you know, maybe waist high or, yeah. or chest high that I used to not really be able to get into and have as much fun on. So I'm really having a lot of fun on the fish right now. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's a lovely way to actually finish this interview and park the bus. And um, I was just wondering, how do you feel right now? I feel fantastic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, listen, maybe that what we could do is actually let the listeners know how to get in touch with you or where to find you on social media or online, if you could give us your socials and website. Yeah, so the uh, Liveswell Beach Bungalows is is very simple. Mm -hmm. um, it's just www.live, L-I-V-E, -E, and then a dash, so the, the dash that's in the middle, not on the bottom, mm -hmm. live-swell, 
Com. And uh, a little interesting thing about when we actually created the logo, that dash in the middle is actually a surfboard. Aww. So that, that might <laughs> help uh, remember it a little bit more. Instagram, you know, we, we post on Instagram. It's just at live underscore swell. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to get the, uh, the, dash. Uh, the surfboard in there. <laughs> and then, you know, my personal email, I'm open to, you know, questions and things like that. We're always looking, you know, for people to give us ideas on what content we have opportunities for people to learn. We even have opportunities for, for people to get involved and, and invest as well. Excellent. You know, that's kind of interesting. You mentioned, you know, getting access to capital, you know, was one of the first questions in this, uh, yeah. conversation. Well, that's, that's actually one of those opportunities that, you know, that we have there and, so yeah, th- th- those are those are the different things that we're working on, and mm-hmm. you know the book was written because we know there was people come behind us, people coming, you know, people before us. So mm-hmm. hopefully that can help some folks. And you know, the thing I wanted to say, Amy, too. I mean, I know it's not easy to put on a podcast to get people on here <laughs> to do the content, edit the content. So you know, I really applaud your efforts, you know, your Aww. time, energy, and effort to 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 put that on. For oh, sure. that's that's so it's not sweet. A small task. <laughs> well, thank you ever so much. Well, listen, Michael, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned so much actually talking to you and also reading your book. So I definitely, if pe- people who are listening have vacation rentals and want to sort of super boost them, then to check out your website because there's a zillion really, really useful tips inside there. And um, thank you ever so much for being my guest today, Michael. Great. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Take care and uh, stay safe. See you soon. Ciao. That was a super interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have an Airbnb or are considering investing, I must encourage you to connect to liveswell.com so it's spelled live l-i-v-e dash swell.com to purchase michael's book vacation rental confidential i hope you're enjoying the podcast so far if you are you can share the love there are so many ways you can support my efforts first of all subscribe to the podcast on your app this way all the shows will automatically download onto your phone and you won't miss an episode Second, rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews will help someone else choose this podcast and perhaps they'll be inspired to follow a path similar to one of my guests. And finally, you can head over to my webshop, theoceanridersshop.com. I get some cool and environmentally friendly t-shirts or sweatshirts and help me pay for my awesome editor. I've just released some new t-shirts and sweatshirts to keep you warm this winter, so uh, head over to theoceanridersshop.com. Also, you can use a special discount code. The discount code is BETHECHANGE20, all in capital letters, and that will give you a 20% discount on your order. Anyway, thank you ever so much for listening, and thank you, Michael, for being my guest today. Until next episode, take care, have fun, and enjoy the waves. Ciao.